Hello, welcome back to Undressing the Issue. I'm Julia, your host. And in this episode, I wanted to address a question that I hear frequently in my sessions with my clients. So the question I get a lot, and this one is coming from people who have been betrayed by their romantic partners, whether it's just a one-time infidelity thing or it's uh, the result of a sex addiction. But here's the question I get, okay? You ready? Is my partner an addict or is my partner just an asshole? (laughs) Well, well. First off, I think to some degree, the answer, the correct answer, the most accurate answer is your partner is both. They're potentially an addict and potentially an asshole. But more importantly, let's let's take a deeper dive, shall we? So as far as an asshole, what are we talking about exactly? Because my cat making eye contact with me while intentionally pushing one of my personal items off of a countertop would be considered to be an asshole. But has my cat betrayed me or lied to me or engaged in any type of gaslighting or manipulation or any other type of abusive behavior? Well, no, she's just purposely trying to annoy me. But Do I call her an asshole when she does this? Yes, indeed I do. Now, let's talk about what my clients mean when they say asshole. So, what they're referring to is selfishness, dishonesty, hurtfulness, uh, gaslighting and lying and manipulating, uh, betrayal, all of the above, really. It's all the stuff that constitutes them feeling hurt, right? So all of the things that have happened that make them feel hurt by their partners are all the reasons why they refer to them or view them as an asshole. Asshole's kind of a vague term. I prefer to say the person has committed assholery because I think it's more about the behavior and it's not necessarily the person's identity, nor should we define them in such a way. Labels are dangerous after all. So maybe we can rephrase the question for starters. Does my partner have an addiction or is my partner intentionally committing assholery? Big difference. I think the intention is another piece of this. Because when we say this person is being an asshole, what the assumption is, is that they're doing something purposely to be hurtful or to disregard me or to not consider my feelings. And the intention is not always the case. In working with sex addiction for as long as I have, it may seem that way to the person who's being betrayed by the person's sexual acting out behaviors in their addictions. But in reality, for the person with the addiction who's doing the acting out, in the moment, typically, the psychology behind this addiction involves so much compartmentalization that there really isn't anything intentional about it. It's compulsive. It's sort of like being on autopilot. 
there isn't really any premeditation or, you know, intention to be spiteful or hurtful or vengeful or malicious. It's simply, you know, this is this thing I do. And when I'm doing it or I'm planning on doing it or I'm in the process of thinking about doing it, that's all I'm actually thinking about. I'm not really thinking about my partner, my relationship, my commitment, or whether this is a betrayal or whether this is going to be hurtful or whether this is going to pose some risks or consequences. It's just, hmm, this sounds good. I think I'll go do that. It's very hedonistic, very id. It's very much in the moment. So that's a really tough thing for the person being betrayed to understand. A lot of times the betrayed partner has a really hard time wrapping their heads around this, that you didn't think about our relationship, you didn't think about you know, the commitment that you've made to me, you didn't think about my feelings, you didn't think about the exposure that you're doing to me, you're exposing me to risk of whatever sexually transmitted diseases, of all sorts of different negative consequences, many of which I actually went over in one of my previous podcasts where I gave you a brief overview of sex addiction and my other one on betrayal trauma. So refer to those if you have questions of consequences. So Back to this question, however. So with the assholery in reference, what we're talking about is that hurtfulness, that selfishness, the lack of empathy, and the seemingly intentional nature of these actions. Now, when it comes to addiction, let's look at the other side of the coin. Here's the tricky part. So. With any addiction, a lot of these behaviors come as a package deal. If you know anybody who has any type of addiction, I'm talking chemical addiction, behavioral addiction, where this is something that they are obsessed with, that they're either constantly doing or thinking about doing or planning on doing, you know that this person will do whatever they can and say whatever they need to to be able to continue to engage in their addiction. That comes with lying. That comes with secrecy. That comes with being deceptive. It comes with hiding things, omitting things, manipulating to get your way or to get out of a situation that might get in the way of your addiction. And all of these behaviors to the person on the receiving end are hurtful. So this is where I say it could be both. It could be addiction, certainly. And for the person who's committing those behaviors, they may say they feel like they don't have control over it and it's compulsive and it's something that maybe they do obsess over, and they may say to them it feels like it's addiction based on the definition of addiction. But to the person on the receiving end, yes, it can feel like assholery. And this is where a lot of problems come up for couples who are trying to recover and heal and build back trust after a betrayal is within this disparity in perspectives where one person is seeing it as I have a problem 
this is out of my control. And the other person is saying, you made decisions all along the way. How can you say this is out of your control? And the decisions that you made were pretty hurtful and ruthless and irresponsible and selfish. So in that case, it's both. Now, not every case of infidelity is caused by some presence of some type of sexual addiction. Yes, there is such a thing as infidelity occurring without the presence of addiction. Not all compulsivity is necessarily addiction. But regardless, it could still be some type of problem, even if it's not addiction. Maybe it's some type of trauma repetition. Maybe there's something dissociative going on for that person where they're not even fully present in going into these activities. It could be any number of things, but there's still the presence of some type of symptomology, potentially some type of pathology. So it's not necessarily intentional. But regardless, the effect it has on the other person is that it's hurtful. And if you've ever sat in on, for example, an Al-Anon meeting, or in the case of sex addiction, an S-Anon meeting, you know, there's a lot of talk around how this impacts the person who is betrayed, how this is impacted you know, their lives, their self-esteem, their perception of their partners, of their relationships. And absolutely, there is no doubt that the impact is tremendous and it lasts a long time. It takes a long time to heal from that. But I often find that with my clients who go to these types of meetings, they don't really get a whole lot of information about what's going on on the other end for the other person, why these behaviors have come about for them, and what purpose they serve. And oftentimes, it's difficult for the people who are betrayed and on the hurt end of the spectrum to even be willing to have any compassion or desire to even understand what's happening because they are so wrapped up in their pain over how the things that have happened have affected them. So here is a crossroads that I sit at almost every day as a therapist specializing in what I specialize in. And it's kind of a difficult one because if I support the person who has committed the betrayal and I try to pursue a deeper understanding of what purpose their behaviors function and where this compulsivity comes from, I could easily be neglecting the betrayed partner's pain or minimizing it or invalidating it. And if I only validate their pain, then I could easily be sort of, well, demonizing the person that betrayed them right next to them, making them feel shame and guilt or making them feel unsafe to talk about what they need to talk about with me because I'm on the side of the betrayed partner and I'm just sitting there trying to make them feel better. So this is a very complicated balance that I maintain 
in so many of my cases with so many of my clients because this is what I specialize in. And this is why this question comes up is because for so many people who have been betrayed, there's this sliver of curiosity and interest to develop insight about their partners and what makes them tick and what has led them to these behaviors. But it's also coupled with this overwhelming pain and anger and betrayal and grief that the interest, especially immediately after finding out about the betrayal, that interest only comes in small glimmers. And oftentimes, even if I do try to explain to them how, for example, sex addiction works or how trauma repetition works, what I often get is, but still, if you love someone, you just don't hurt them that way. And the answer is you're right. Now where the catch is, is that this person loves you and they care about you and they most of the time, most of the sex addicts I work with don't want to lose their primary relationships. And when they're in that compulsive sort of autopilot mood altered state, they're in a different world. It's like a different version of themselves. And they're not thinking about anything or anybody else just what they want to do, just what's in front of them. So yes, it's hurtful, it's selfish, and it's also compulsive. It's both. Now, not every addict is, what's the word I'm looking for here? Mm, not every addict functions from a place of uh, a lack of empathy, from this, you know, just staggering selfishness. It's not really that. But if you think about it, if they're in the moment, right, let's say we're talking about a sex addict whose primary addiction or addictive behavior is to solicit prostitutes and have sex with them, vaginal intercourse. And we're assuming that this addict is a male. It's an assumption, it is not the only demographic. I say this all the time. I often use males when I reference addicts, but it's simply because more commonly it is male addicts who seek treatment versus female addicts, although I do have plenty of those as well. So let's say we use as an example a male who self-identifies as a sex addict, and let's say his primary behavior and the thing he likes to do most is to hire a prostitute, which he finds online somewhere, and he goes and meets them, pays them money to be able to have, let's say, unprotected vaginal intercourse with them, okay? Now imagine that this addict is a heterosexual male and is married and has been married for a long time. And his wife happens to find out about his behaviors. And maybe for him, this has been something that he has done for decades. Maybe his first experience with a prostitute was long before he even met his wife, okay? For him, this is something that has turned into 
almost like part of a routine. It's just something that he does. And he's told himself, I don't want to do that anymore. If my wife finds out, she's going to be devastated. It's really going to hurt her. And I'm spending so much money that could be going towards our children's college funds or whatever. I, um, I don't like that I do this. Maybe I feel guilty or ashamed that I do this. But somehow, you know, when I've tried to stop, I've gone maybe a week or two. And next thing I know, I'm calling up a prostitute and I'm heading over there. And even if it feels wrong, I still go through with it. And I just sort of deal with the despair that comes with it after the fact. So to this man's wife, she's going, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, back up. You, you just deal with it and then you deal with the despair after the fact? The fuck? What are you saying? How about the fact that you're not having safe sex and you're potentially exposing me to STDs because we still have sex, my friend, and we don't use protection because we've been married forever and a day. Or how about the fact that you are taking, this is a common one, by the way, side note, a lot of my betrayed partners say this, you are taking food out of our children's mouths by spending money on prostitutes, literally. Though that's money that could be going to pay for one of their meal plans in college. And you are giving it to somebody else to perpetuate your illicit behavior and your deviant desires. Okay? That was a fun animated one. I haven't heard that one in a while. So, they're angry. They're hurt. They're betrayed. There's shock. There's disgust. There's sadness too that nothing in your life your marriage your kids your home life your family the life you've spent so much time building none of that is important enough for you to not do this for you to stop that is extremely hurtful and it's also really aggravating a lot of betrayed partners are fucking pissed they're angry. I've spent years. I've clipped coupons. I have, you know, spent hours and hours with no sleep building this family with you. And I've worked my butt off to afford this life and to help, you know, with the household income. And this is what you do. People get really enraged. And in many ways, they have every right to be. They have every single right to be because it's a massive betrayal and it's a slap in the face. It is, unfortunately. So for those women, let's say that wife, not for those women, but the people who are in this particular wife's position, it's very hard to look past that and go, yeah, this was horrible and hurtful, but oh, you have a problem. So yeah, so... It's, it doesn't hurt anymore. Don't worry about me hurting. Um, that's fine. It's okay. I forgive you. I understand you can't help it. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. I'm sorry. That's just not how it goes. Those feelings are way too raw and visceral, which is why for people who are in that wife's position, their perspective is this is assholery. This is intentional. It's kind of like what happened to Tiger Woods 
when he cheated on his wife and then came out and said, I have a sex addiction, I'm going in for treatment. And all over the tabloids, people were saying, he's not a sex addict, he's he's just a jerk. Like this addiction thing is an excuse for his bad behavior. He's trying to play the sympathy card. This is bullshit. Well, I don't know Tiger Woods personally, so I don't know exactly, but that sentiment is echoed quite frequently among the people who are betrayed. It's not uncommon. And I gotta say, I get it. Having been in that position myself, having seen how that played out in my parents' marriage, I get it, I understand, I get that. But by the same token, because this is what I do, I'm also interested to hear what happened for the person who actually committed the betrayal. What's going on? How were you doing in your marriage? How are you doing in terms of your own self-esteem? How do you feel about yourself? Do you like yourself? Do you have trauma? Did something happen to you? What happens for you exactly? Walk me through play by play from the minute something occurs that causes you to start thinking about calling your prostitute again until you leave your prostitute. From that moment until all the way through until the end and you're done, what goes on for you? What are the feelings? What are the thoughts? What's the narrative? What's really happening? Because that tells me the purpose that this behavior serves. Maybe it's some type of self-soothing. Maybe it's a distraction. Maybe it's some type of an ego boost or some sense of conquest that we're looking for. Maybe we're seeking power, some type of control or, you know, the ability to feel desired or validated by some external source without the risk of rejection, which is minimized tremendously when you are having some type of transactional sex. If I'm paying for it, I'm more likely to get what I want And the likelihood of you going, oh my God, ew, you're gross. I don't like you. I don't want to do this. And suffering that type of humiliating rejection is definitely reduced tremendously. So there's something to it. There's something to the behaviors, the preferences, the arousal template, the things that people choose to do. And I want to know about it. But I also have to tell their betrayed partners that I want to know about it from a clinical perspective so that I can better understand what's going on for this person. But you may not be in a position where you can actually hear it, understand it, and not be completely triggered or hurt by it. So I understand if for you, this is not helpful. And I will see people separately in order to get a better understanding of each one of their views. So as far as the addiction versus the assholery, yes, it can be both. Not every addict is an asshole. Not every asshole is an addict. Not every case of infidelity is necessarily caused by or related to any type of addiction. And yeah, sometimes people are assholes. People can be selfish. It can be anything. Anything is possible. But I think the reason why this is both is because 
The answer differs based on whose perspective you're looking at it from. And each one of those perspectives holds weight. They're both valid. And for those who choose to stay in their relationships after there's been some type of betrayal, the biggest component for the betrayed party is to see that the person who betrayed them fully understands the breadth of the betrayal, the amount of hurt that they experienced, how that actually impacted them, and not just say they understand and not just keep repeating like a broken record, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but to actually really demonstrate that they get it. They get it. Not only do they get it, they don't ever want to do it again. And they want to do everything they can to make it up to them. And for the person who committed the betrayal, the thing that they are looking for is to find a way to rebuild that trust. What can I do to rebuild the trust? What does my partner need to see to really believe that I understand how bad my behavior was and that I am committed to working on myself, to earning their trust again, to really doing the work. That's probably in a nutshell, like 75% of my day. <laughs> is those topics but these are heavy and I can giggle about it but for the people in those situations this floors them this brings their lives to a screeching halt this is really difficult stuff and it complicates just about everything around them it's not just their relationship or their marriage it's their families it's their friends it's their faith communities it's their work, it's their creativity, it's their self-care, it's their self-esteem, it's their mental health. It affects everything. This is huge. So I do think that this question is valid and it's important, but I don't think that answering with accuracy of whether this is truly assholery or whether it's addiction or some type of compulsion or it's something that the person can't help. I don't think finding the right answer is necessarily the best goal for this. I think what's more important is to really see in this question what the person is experiencing to even feel the need to ask. Because obviously, they don't know whether to be angry and hurt or understanding and compassionate and patient. They're conflicted. That's what this question is a clear indication of, is this internal conflict. I don't know. I don't know. If the person really does have a problem, I do still care about them. I want them to get help. I want to support them through that process. Yes, what they did sucked and it hurt so bad, but if this is something that they can get help for and they can get better, I'd want to be there for them because despite being hurt, I still care about them. If I didn't care about them, I wouldn't feel hurt in the first place. I'd be indifferent. So 
This question is a doozy, but it's pretty loaded and it comes with a lot of information without even beginning to come up with an answer. It really is demonstrative of what happens for people who are betrayed, what happens for those who go into the process of trying to heal from their betrayals and trying to reconcile what happened and how the hell to move forward. And it's really complicated. It's really not cut and dry at all, unfortunately. I wish it was, but it's complicated and it takes twists and turns. And sometimes we get setbacks and sometimes the process goes smoothly and then it will slow down again. And that is what progress looks like. It's messy. The whole thing's messy. What happened in the first place is messy. The feelings are messy. The healing is messy. So I will leave you with this. Before we start asking these questions, consider if the question you're compelled to ask even has a reasonable, logical answer, or if you need to take a closer look at why you have the question in the first place. Or maybe even why it is that you feel you need to ask it. To me, that's got a lot more substance to it than simply trying to find an answer. So, as always, thank you for listening. I hope this has been insightful. And as always, if you have any feedback, questions, comments, you can find me on all my various social media channels. You can find links to all of that at undressingtheissue.com. And take care, be well, until next time.